Tuesday, January 24, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. This is episode 80, rounding the corner on our way to episode 100. Super stoked to hit that milestone. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Today, we are going to feature retired Army General George Casey, who served as the 36th Chief of Staff of the Army from 2007 to 2011. General Casey and I sat down at the Student Veterans of America National Conference uh, a couple weeks ago as I was going through and, and as I was interviewing the Student Veteran of the Year finalist, I was able to get him uh, to sit down with me as well and uh, General Casey and I talk about his 41 years of service. We talk about what it means to continue to serve veterans. He is a teacher at Cornell. He's on the USO Board of Governors. He's on the Georgetown Board of Directors. He's also on the board for SVA, Street Shares, and other organizations here in the veteran space. This is one of those interviews where I recorded it and enjoyed it and then didn't really realize how great it was until I went back and listened to it. I know you're really going to appreciate this. Enjoy. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. George, we start every every interview with the same question. The one thing that veterans all have in common is the decision to join the United States military. Bring us back to that day for you. Wow, so that, that day for me actually came as I was wrapping up my high school. And I graduated from high school in 1966, and at that time we were very heavily engaged in Vietnam. In fact, my father uh, was, was serving in Vietnam in, in 1966. Uh, and at that time I, just, I wanted to en- enlist and go into special forces. and. Uh, and, and serve my country. I mean, I, I, I firmly believed that the country was a war and it was my duty as a citizen to serve. My dad came back and said, you know, you may want to think about going in as an officer. And he strongly encouraged me to go to school and get commissioned at ROTC. And so I went to, I went to Georgetown and immediately joined ROTC. Uh, it was interesting to watch what happened because we had a battalion when I was a freshman, and we had a small company by the time I finished. That, that's how much things changed over the time I was there. Um, but that's why I decided to serve, because the country was at war. And I fully expected to get commissioned, go to my training at Fort Benning, and go to Vietnam. And, and what I didn't realize until after I became the chief of staff of the Army is what happens is, if you're going to start drawing down you have to start drawing down officers at least four years ahead of time because it takes four years to produce an officer. Yeah. And so the Army had already started to draw down, and when I got there, uh, they offered us all active duty for training, which was you stay on in, in, active duty for 90 days, and then you go in the reserves for eight years. About half the group took it. Uh, they sent me to Germany, and I uh, fully expected to spend a year in Germany and go to Vietnam, and by then the war was over. 
So I never got the opportunity to serve in, in Vietnam. But uh, that started off on a, uh, 41 years later, I, I, sure. I left. <laughs> uh, 41 years, that's longer than I've done anything in life. I haven't, I haven't uh, even br uh, been breathing that long. Uh, just to give you an idea how yeah, long that Thanks for reminding is. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the name of the program is Born the Battle, and we know not every veteran sees literal combat. We all face sacrifices and challenges that we've, in the military. Um, you know, a 41-year career, can you, can, you, can you call upon one challenge or adversity that you can remember and sort of how you dealt with it? <laughs> well, Iraq was probably the biggest challenge that sure. I had, and and spending almost three years there, uh, leading that effort during a very, very complicated and difficult time was it was it was really hard. And uh, you know, we we worked uh, the ambassador and I worked very hard during that time to to stay abreast of the environment and to make sure that the men and women that were serving both of us had the guidance and direction uh, that they needed to, for, for the United States to succeed. Yeah. And, and it, it was not easy. Tell me, tell me about um, one of your closest friends in the military or a great leader that you had, you, either, either or. Just tell me about that person. Well, probably my, my closest friend, uh, I, I, have a, I have a few close friends uh, in the military. Some, um, some I've known since I was a lieutenant, and it's very interesting to me that what I find is, uh, you know, when you're young and, and new and, and in the position to get molded and, and everybody's working as hard as they can and pulling together, the, the relationships I made during that period were the ones that I still have to this day. And it's interesting. I mean, there were seven guys who were lieutenants in my battalion when I was a lieutenant in Germany, they came to my promotion as vice chief of staff of the army. And, I, and I, that's the kind of connections uh, yeah. that you make. Um, so I, I don't know that it's, it's, it's just, it's one person. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's all of the relationships that you make during your time in the military. Yeah. What, uh, so obviously retirement prompted your, your transition out um, after, <laughs> after... 41 years? Yeah. <laughs> but were you, um, you know, when, when, when did you realize um, that you, you had satisfied your, your time of duty? Well, I don't know that I, I would say that I'd satisfied my time of duty. I mean, you always realize that there's more you can do to make your organization better. But I'll tell you, after almost three years in Iraq and four years as the Army Chief, I was pretty beat. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I had done everything that I thought was humanly possible um, for the Army uh, and for the men and women that worked for me in Iraq. And so I was, after 41 years, I was ready to move on, plus my, my term as Army Chief of Staff expired at the end of four years. And sure. at 41 years, they weren't going to give me a new job. <laughs> and not, not, that I, not that I could have taken it. Yeah. Um, you know, we know we know veterans whether they get out after four years or get out after you know decades of service. Um, the transition is difficult for or for some. Did you? Um, how did you experience your transition uh, out of the military? So I'll tell you. I'm going to tell this joke. It's not a joke. It's actually true. But so I, you know, people always ask me, "What's it like going from being in charge of an organization of a million people? You have a staff of hundreds at your beck and call, and a G5 to fly you all around the world." To being an army of one, basically, I mean, it's really you and your iPhone. Yeah. You know, they drop you like a hot potato when you yeah. leave the military, even as a four-star. And one day, I was doing a crossword puzzle, and 
It, the clue was army head, seven letters. I said, easy, general, right? So I keep on going, and, and then, well, you know how you're doing a crossword puzzle, you realize something's not working? Right. After a while, I realized it wasn't army head, it was army head, and the answer wasn't general, it was latrine. <laughs> and that's kind of what it's like going from general to, to latrine. But one of the things they tell you is that, you know, you got to, you know, figure out what you really love to do. And what I found I really love to do was teach leadership um, to young people. Yeah. And so that's what I've been doing. I teach it uh, in the business school at Cornell. I, I teach in their executive education program to different businesses around the country. And as I said, I just was at Maxwell Air Force Base talking to uh, the Air Command and Staff College about leadership. Yeah. And that's what I'd like to do. And that's, I, so I, I do that and then I, I'm, on the, I'm chairman of the board of the USO, on the board of Student Veterans of America, Thanks USA, Patriot Boot Camp. Um, and then I'm on some advisory boards for Rally Point and Street Shares that are, that are they're primarily there to help uh, yeah. help veterans. So I'm, uh, I'm, I, I want to give back a little bit too, yeah. and that, that's why I stay on these boards. Uh, Mark Rockefeller over at Street Shares, sure. a, a former uh, guest on the podcast, of course, with other members of SVA. Um, so you, you and I are at NatCon right now as we're doing this interview. Um, how, how involved are you with the student veterans at Cornell? Um, at, at, I'm very involved with the student veterans at the, in, in the Johnson School, so in okay. the business school. The student veterans are about 10% of the business school. Holy smoke. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, they, 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 they work that very hard. And it's, it's a good number, too, because they're not uh, so, so big that they're overwhelming everybody, but they're big enough to have a, good, a very, very good network. Yeah. And the folks at Cornell have stepped up. I mean, those men and women that are there are, are basically getting an Ivy League MBA for free with the Yellow Ribbon Program. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah, so I, I I go up there and I'll talk to the ROTC folks every time I go up there and I'll we'll get we'll have a veteran session and then we 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 haven't had as much success in the, at the undergraduate level there, and um, I, I try to plug in with them but it, it's been kind of sporadic. What so there at the at the Johnson Business School what what are you know the one or two top contributions that you see student veterans bringing to the classroom? Um, well, I, the course I teach is on leading today. Okay. And, and, and these folks have already succeeded in yeah. the environment that the business world is wrestling with today. Yeah. So they have huge insights. But, but I think one of, the, one of the best things about them is they, they, they come from an environment where leadership, preparation, and training is a way of life. So they know they're on a journey. And this is just another part of their journey. So they're very focused on figuring out how they translate what they learned in the military into the into civilian life. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they're also, I mean, they about a third of my class is usually international students. And they're a big help in helping some of those international students understand how uh, Americans think about leadership. Yeah. So then on the other side, what's the, what's the challenge that you see student veterans having in the classroom? Um, well, I'm gonna, uh, you know, the biggest challenge I see, and so I, I teach also at uh, at University of Denver at the Corbell School, and I'm on the board of Georgetown. So I, I mean, I interact with, with student veterans a lot. In fact, sure. at uh, Jack DeJoy at Georgetown has asked me to head a veterans initiative, uh, not only to improve uh, the, the way we take care of veterans at Georgetown, which is already pretty good, 
but to make Georgetown a center for veterans research and education. And so we're actively pursuing that. So I see a lot of student veterans and interact with them quite a bit. The biggest thing that I see is, that, is they, they get into this transition from the military into civilian life and they, they sell themselves short. They, they don't they don't un, they don't look back and see all of the the huge things that the military has empowered them with, and they're so far ahead of their civilian peers that uh, you know I try to help them understand that. I tell them the story about when I was I went back to grad school after I'd been in the army nine years. Okay, so nine years without even looking at a textbook, and it was in international relations up at Denver University. <laughs> And I remember thinking I'm the dumbest guy on the face of the earth because I, all, I was looking up like every other word. You know, it was like I was learning a new language. Yeah. And I tell that story, to, I'll tell it again today, and I'll tell that story all the time. Well, I, I was telling it at a reception at Georgetown uh, just a few months ago when, when they were, the students were coming back. And one of the professors that was there came up to me and said that one of her students that day had come up to her and said... He, he's not getting this. This is really hard stuff. And he said, and the student was in the room and, and apparently heard me say that. So I said, don't sell yourself short. Yeah. You, you got a lot to give and a lot to, a lot to offer. The military is not the, not the best thing you're going to do in your life. Um, how, so how long have you been on SVA's board? Well, let's see. I, between the advisory board and the board, I, I've been working with SVA for five years. Okay. So between between all of your roles at those those universities and then now on the board here, um, just what are some what are a couple of takeaways that you've seen in the importance in our nation and our community investing in student veterans and making sure that veterans succeed with higher education? Well, uh, I'm going to again I'm going to tell them this today. When President Bush signed the GI Bill in 2008, he said this is to provide the education to our veterans so they can lead us in peaceful economic competition to become, uh, to continue to be world leaders or something to that, to that effect. That's what this is about. Yeah. This, this is about the United States of America at the macro level. It's not about graduating, just to, that's at the micro level. And so that's the first thing. The second thing I'd say is that I mean, fo folks need to understand that the, that the environment today, is, they're, they're doing their studies in an environment where people are very appreciative of their service and very supportive. And the third thing is that there's a huge number of private organizations that are bridging the gap between what the government can do and what, and what the students need. You know, the, we all know that the government's a huge bureaucracy and, and they do big things well, but they never can handle all of the individual things that individual veterans need. And that's, that's where the public-private partnership comes into play. So the environment that they're going to school in right now couldn't be more supportive. And, and I think that's important. When I was at American University, more than half of the people take, using GI Bill benefits were actually dependents. Um, how do you see that relationship between student veterans on campus and other military family members? Um, and do you see, um, like, uh, are they noticeable? I guess maybe that's, the, I don't know if that's the right word, but like those, the other people that are using the GI mm. Bill that come from a military background or are from a military family but aren't a service member, um, do you notice them and what contributions do you see them making? Yeah. 
So, so um, I think one of the things, you know, AU is like Georgetown is, you know, in the Washington, D.C. area, you have a lot of dependents, okay? So at Georgetown, we, we talk about, we don't just necessarily talk about veterans, we talk about the military community at Georgetown. And, and it is the veterans, it, and Georgetown, I'm sure like AU, has a lot of active duty folks that are being sent there fully funded, and, and the independents. And, and it's, so we, I, we, we kind of look at it in, in terms of the whole community, the military community at, uh, at these colleges and universities. And, and I think that's a pretty healthy way uh, to look at it. You know, one, one of the things, the fact that, that the transfer benefits were put in um, was a tough fight. And it took Secretary Gates uh, and I going over to see uh, Senator Jim Webb, who, who was concerned that if, if we left that provision in, um, the veterans would give it to their spouse and then get divorced, and then you'd have a divorced, uneducated veteran. And, and we prevailed on him to say, no, I think we're past that now. I mean, that could, can that happen? Sure, it can happen. Uh, but, but, I mean, the gift of education is the, the best gift that anyone can give. And for a parent to give that gift to a child or, or, or to a spouse, I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than that. The, uh, the veterans that you see uh, coming through, um, you know, your business school and even your course, um, do you th are they entrepreneurial driven or are they looking to enter the business world to convert? Oh, it's a mix. It's a, it, mix. it's a mix. I mean, so one of the, one of the boards I'm on is, is called Patriot Bootcamp and they run free uh, seminars for, for veterans who want to get started in the IT business. It's, it's, it's sponsored by Techstars, which, which does that in the civilian sector out in Boulder, Colorado. So, so they're, um, they're in the entrepreneurial role. Um, the ones in uh, the, the going to the business school at Cornell, <laughs> nah, they're they're getting into the finance and consulting yeah. and, and other things like that. But that's that's okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's up to you, you know. Um, what's what's an experience or a skill set that you got in the military that is help that is contributing to your success as as a teacher? Oh, interesting. Well, first of all. What I mean, I realized this by the time I was about a lieutenant colonel. Is once you hit that mark, you spend most of your time teaching. <laughs> you spent most of your time training and your subordinates, and and I, I felt that that was one of the most important things I needed to do as a leader was to grow the next generation of leaders. So I taught it. I taught leader development at every level. At the battalion level, I did it once a week, and I taught it myself. At the brigade level, I did it once a month, and I organized it. At the division level, I did it once a quarter, uh, and I organized it. And then one of my staff figured out that I spent 15% of my time, one five percent of my time, as army chief of staff teaching generals. But but it, it's it's that important. Um, continuing with that parallel of teaching uh, in the military and then teaching at the school, like what, what, what's a, what's a um, noticeable difference uh, between those two experiences? And maybe your approach yeah, to teaching. Yeah, um, you, you asked the original question there about what, what did I take away, and I didn't quite get to that. But um, for, for me, the, what, what I learned uh, in, in the military was uh, that you have to focus on the most important elements. You have to figure out what it is you really want to accomplish and then figure out the, the three to five most important things that you have to do to accomplish that. And then you focus on being the best at those three to five things. What, what, I, what I saw all the time as growing up in the military was 
everybody tried to be the best at everything. And when you try the best at everything, you're the best at nothing. Yeah. And, and it takes the leader to make the choice. It said, no, we're going to be good at this. We're going to be really good at this, this, and this. Those are the most important things. And so what I try to do is I, I try to get to the essence of the point I'm trying to get across and, 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 and try to deliver that. And then, as you can imagine, I have a few stories from 41 years in the military, and the students seem to like those stories. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization, aside from SVA, that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. Um, I'll, I'll go back to, well, to, wow. I mean, I, got, I, I see there's three out there, right? And I mentioned, I've already mentioned them. Sure. Uh, but, but Rally Point is well along in becoming the LinkedIn's for, for veterans and military professionals. And, one of, and I'll say this inside, one of the things that, that I've seen is we're lousy networkers. And, and, and I've, as I thought about it, I said, why is that? I said, well, you know, our, maybe it's because our unit was our network. We, yeah. we didn't need anything else beyond that. It was all right there. But now, now you got the opportunity to stay connected and not only get help yourself, but to give back and ultimately help others. You know, one of the great things about being a veteran is, is there's always somebody that's got your back. But you got to be connected. Um, then there's, there's um, Patriot Boot Camp I mentioned. You know, they're, they're out there giving people the skills they need to drive their IT ideas to success. And they've already have, I think, I think the number is four get bought out by somebody else. So they, they've taken it to a certain level and they've, they've been bought out. So they're, I mean, they're, they're making a difference. And then lastly, Street Shares. I mean, Street Shares is doing a great job of, of providing money, loans, small business loans to veterans. Yeah. And all those are, are, are really, really necessary things. Absolutely. Uh, sir, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Uh, thank you for your 41 years of service. Don't say that like it's such a long time. <laughs> you make me feel older. Well, I, I don't mean to do that, but it, it's not a negligible number, right? No. So many of us did four to eight, and the idea of doing up to 10 times that amount, I think, is uh, it's, it's worth noting and it's worth honoring, sir. Thanks. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And then I think it's even more important to point out, and I always try to do this, Thank you for your continued service to veterans afterwards, and I think that uh, it's just as important um, to make sure that we're nurturing veterans post-military as we are taking care of service members while they're active duty. You're right. Yeah. I mean, what a, I, I'm, I'm committed to making sure this, the men and women, I mean, you think about it, there were four rotations of, of U.S. troops that, that came through Iraq during the, the time I was there. I mean, that's 600,000 folks. So yeah. I think it's important that the veterans know that, that the old bosses haven't forgotten about them. Absolutely. Sir, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Tim. Thanks. When my husband came home from Vietnam, he didn't really look into all his VA benefits. But now I've got some health issues, and I'm glad VA is there for me. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. Thanks, General Keese, for taking the time to, to sit down with me. You can check out everything that happened uh, at NatCon and our coverage on it if you check out hashtag NatCon2018. Today's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Paul Smith, U.S. Army Sergeant First Class, B Company, 11th Engineer Battalion, 3rd Infantry Division. This was on the War on Terror in Iraq. The year was 2003. Paul Smith was born in El Paso, Texas. Citation reads, 
Sergeant First Class Paul R. Smith distinguished himself by acts of gallantry and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty in action with an armed enemy near Baghdad International Airport, Baghdad, Iraq, on 4 April 2003. On that day, Sergeant First Class Smith was engaged in the construction of a prisoner of war holding area when his task force was violently attacked by a company-sized enemy force. Realizing the vulnerability of over 100 fellow soldiers, Sergeant First Class Smith quickly organized a hasty defense consisting of two platoons of soldiers, one Bradley fighting vehicle, and three armed personnel carriers. As the fight developed, Sergeant First Class Smith braved hostile enemy fire to personally engage the enemy with hand grenades and anti-tank weapons and organized the evacuation of three wounded soldiers from an armored personnel carrier truck by a rocker-propelled grenade and a 60mm mortar round. Fearing the enemy would overrun their defenses, Sergeant First Class Smith moved under withering enemy fire to man a 50 caliber machine gun mounted on a damaged armored personnel carrier. In total disregard for his own life, he maintained his exposed position in order to engage the attack in enemy force. During this action, he was mortally wounded. His courageous actions helped defeat the enemy attack and resulted in as many as 50 enemy soldiers killed while allowing the safe withdrawal of numerous wounded soldiers. Sergeant First Class Smith's extraordinary heroism and uncommon valor are in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself the 3rd Infantry Division, Rock of the Marne, and the United States Army. We honor his service. Thank you, for everyone, for taking the time to listen. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash veteransaffairs for more stories from our community. We're back next week. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.